Have uh, any of you seen the film Gladiator? Yep. There's uh, a scene in that where uh, Maximus, the uh, uh, Roman general, is geeing his army up to uh, to get ready to take on, I think it's the German army. And uh, in a very rousing speech, he uses these words, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And these were some of the words that the, uh, the pastor at the church that we went to, to visit on the Sunday used as part of his sermon uh, when he was talking about Elijah handing over uh, a mantle um, of, of service to Elisha um, and how um, the things that we do in this life can have ramifications in eternity. And when I was thinking about, um, you know, what we did in South Africa, do you know what? Yes, we built a house. In fact, we built two houses. But what we did was far much more, I think, than leave um, two houses for two families uh, in a very deprived uh, township in, uh, in Botlang in South Africa. I think we built much more of a house and I honestly believe and I hope I'll share with you some of the reasons why I think that what was done out there will have echoes through eternity. South Africa is a fascinating country. Uh, during one of the days we went to um, visit Soweto, southwest township. And there we saw in Freedom Square a monument that describes the Freedom Charter that was drawn up in South Africa back in 1955. And uh, I won't go into all the details, but you can see the, the, the ten main points of the Freedom Charter that were drawn up. And I'm sure as you scan read them, you will see, hey, they're brilliant. In fact, they're almost biblical, aren't they? You know, the things that God promises us as our inheritance in him, the kingdom that we will inherit, the freedom, the peace, the um, uh, uh, kind of community that we will experience, are pretty much summed up in that Freedom Charter. It's a fascinating country, a country that is, I think I'm right in saying, one of the most rich countries in natural resources. We learnt a little bit about the gold mines there, how the, the gold mine was opened up by a farmer just finding a huge gold nugget lying on the, uh, um, on the ground. The world's biggest diamond comes from there. They are huge fruit producers, coal producers. The natural resources are just limitless. The potential they have as a, as a nation is absolutely enormous. If only they could live to those ten principles. But they don't. And despite they say housing for all, education for all, freedom for all, community for all, a share in the wealth of the natural resources, still we see people living on rubbish tips. We see people living in houses that are basically just bits of corrugated steel um, held together. Um, with bits of string sometimes. It's shocking. And yet, 
a few yards down the road, you'll see a really nice house. You know, side by side. It's not equality at all. And then I'm sure some of you will know some of the history of the, uh, of the uprisings, the uh, anti-apartheid movement. And some of you may know the name of Hector Peterson. We went to visit the Hector Peterson Museum uh, when we were there. And Hector Peterson is a young school kid that was caught up in the violence, the uprisings, when there were demonstrations, and he was shot by the police. And the picture there, top right, is his distraught sister and somebody in the crowd that picked up the body of Hector Peterson and, uh, and carried him off. But he was dead already. And it's not a particularly good picture. It's a picture I took at the museum, but on the left-hand side there, there's a, a, a kind of inscription that talks about how an individual life can change society. And as a result of that young kid dying, he didn't know he was making a sacrifice. He was just caught up uh, in, in the violence. But as a result of his death, massive changes came about. And I just want to kind of point out that phrase there, an individual life can change society. I wonder what that means for us. Can we change society? I think we can. And I think that's what God's called us to do. That little plaque, by the way, down uh, at the bottom is in a a kind of special courtyard, and we were given the privilege of going in there. And there are literally hundreds of these plaques commemorating all the young people that were killed in those uprisings. A little bit more of that later. Why did I go to South Africa? For me, these two Bible verses kept on going round for me. God instructs us to defend the poor and the fatherless, to do justice to the afflicted and needy. And in Matthew 28, that, uh, um, that verse that we kind of take as our uh, overall mission that Jesus gives the church, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. I wonder if you notice something special about those verses. They're written in a particular way that have very clear actions. Yeah? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. All authority in heaven has uh, been given to me. Therefore, go. And if I was asked that question, why do you not just send money to let other people build houses? It's because of these two verses. It's because God says, get up off your backside and go and do something about it. Yeah? It's not good enough. And, I, and please, you know, there are times in our lives when actually we can't get up and go, right? And I, I'm not trying to uh, put a guilt trip on people in any way. But for me, God's saying, you can go, so you should go, right? You should go and make a difference. Try and be that life that changes society. Try and be that person whose actions have echoes in eternity. So that's why I went. And that's why I ended up at uh, Ebenezer Farm. This is the, uh, um, the, uh, the place, the um, uh, kind of hostel, like campsite, whatever you want to call it, where we were staying. Uh, interesting name, um, Ebenezer. Um, some people might equate Ebenezer with Ebenezer Scrooge. 
right? But actually, the word Ebenezer is a very biblical one, um, and it means stone of help. And it was set up by the Jews as a, uh, as a reminder of how God had helped them thus far in their journey, had helped them, um, you know, defeat the, uh, the armies that were standing against them. So Ebenezer is a stone of help, a reminder of God's faithfulness. And whilst uh, it was talked about a place of rest and renewal, it was far from a place of rest. <laughs> it was exhausting, but actually spiritually a massive place of renewal for me. And during the, um, during the week, in the evenings, we were looking at the Beatitudes, the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was talking to his disciples and those gathered around about how people should live their lives. Right? You might want to turn uh, Matthew 5 in your, in your Bibles. And just, uh, we'll, we'll pick out only three. Uh, we went through all, all the Beatitudes, and if uh, I went through all of them, then bear in mind that uh, we did two Beatitudes each evening and it took us 45 minutes. It would be a kind of long service. So I'm just going to pick out a, a, a few examples. But the, the, the broad message in the Beatitudes, for me, is that Jesus turned conventional wisdom totally on its head. He said, you know, kind of the world is like this, but I say, actually, it's like this. He talked about blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Quite the opposite to the way the world thinks. And, uh, you know, I'm sure in, uh, in your jobs, in your, in your lives, you know, the world mostly revolves about uh, those who have the most power, those who have the most money, those who speak out the loudest, those who stand up for their own rights. They're the ones that actually get in this world. But Jesus says, no, it's completely the other way around. And we explored something of what it meant to live counterculturally according to these Beatitudes. And one of the ones we looked at was, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word meek. But I guess, and we did uh, a little discussion on this, I guess most people think of it as quite a weak um, word. Yeah, Blessed are those who are downtrodden. <laughs> Blessed are those who uh, allow themselves to have sand kicked in their face. Blessed are those who, um, you know, are doormats. That's kind of what we think of blessed are the meek. But actually the word meek um, is very, very different from that. It comes from a, a Greek word, uh, praus, P-R-A-U-S. And that word means strength, but under control. Strength under control. And it's used um, for um, kind of controlling a, a wild horse. If you've got a bit uh, in, the, in the mouth of the horse, that horse has great strength, but it's under control of the rider. And I use the example of, uh, of a cox in a boat. Now, my uh, youngest daughter, Naomi, she coxes for her school rowing team. And she looks a tiny, that's not a picture of her, but she looks a tiny figure as she's sitting in the, in the front of the boat. 
Now, where's the power in that boat? In the oars, right? Great strength, you know, strapping lads there, you know, one pull of the uh, oar and that boat is surging forward. But the control in that boat is with the cocks. Because the cocks can see where the boat is going. The cocks knows um, what's going on in the race, whether they're ahead or behind. The cocks knows when to pull and when to maybe ease off, when to up the stroke rate. And I think this is a great example of what meekness means in the context of our relationship with God. Because Jesus is saying, blessed are those who submit to the control of Almighty God because he's in control. He knows what's best for us. So meekness is not about being downtrodden. It's about understanding that God knows best, that God is in control of the world, that we're comfortable allowing him to be in control. We're comfortable to be in that place. And I guess when we look at the world around us and we see terrorism, we see uh, maybe you're not particularly happy about the way the Brexit vote has gone, you know, you see all kinds of uh, um, injustice in the world. Are you content with that? Not are you happy with it, but are you content to understand that God is in control and he knows best and his will ultimately will be done? That's what I think meekness in... uh, Uh, Meekness towards God means. And the result of that meekness is those who are meek towards God in that sense inherit the earth. But when you look at your eternal destiny, the question is, who do you submit to in life? Who are you meek towards? Are you meek towards yourself? Or are you meek towards God? Or are you meek towards others? I want to share a couple of things that showed me during the, um, uh, uh, the, the 10 days or so in South Africa that God was completely in control. The first one was in his provision. Now, we were all going to um, go to the, uh, AIDS, visit the AIDS orphanage on the, on the last Sunday before we flew back. And the leaders thought it would be really great if we provided lunch for the hundred or so orphans that were there. And we didn't know how we were going to do this, um, because obviously that was going to cost money to uh, feed a hundred people. And uh, um, we thought, well, do we, do we kind of ask uh, the kids for if they've got any spare South African rand that we can use? But in the middle of the week, um, we were introduced to an insurance company, a local insurance company who was also working with the Moor, um, and they said, we've seen what you're doing, we would love to provide lunch for you on Thursday and Friday. So we'd love you to come to our site and we'll send you some sandwiches and stuff as well um, and, and, and feed you. And we thought, wow, because they're going to feed us on the Thursday and Friday, we no longer have to use the food that we would have been provided by Ebenezer. And how many meals does that equate to? Two times 50, 100. So because of that, we were able to take food to the orphanage. Just amazing. Second thing, this is our house half done. 
with about a day and a half to go, I have to admit, I was getting a little concerned. I didn't think we had the time to finish what we had. There were all kinds of things that had kind of tripped us up. We ran out of petrol on the generator, so we had no power. Um, our team was always dropped off last and picked up first, so we were kind of losing time at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Um, and uh, there were all kinds of things that had uh, held us back. And I was thinking, Lord, how are we going to do this? And uh, I know there was uh, prayer requests went around about about this. But with half a day to go, so this was the Saturday morning, we still had loads of rooms to finish off. And the team was uh, mad panicked because the other team were nearly finished and they were going to come and, and help us out. And everybody was going, no, no, we don't want the other team in. We want to do it ourselves. And incredibly, I don't know how we did it, but by one o'clock that day we were finished. Unbelievable. And I think it's just a, a testimony to, to God's provision that he gave us the strength and um, the energy, the enthusiasm, the, uh, the stickability to get that finished. Just incredible. So the meek shall inherit the earth. And I talked a, a little bit um, uh, one of the evening sessions about what does an inheritance actually mean. And, and I talked about... Um, you know, Emma and I have written a will, and, and, and that will um, bequeaths everything that we have to, to our kids. Uh, and one day, uh, when we pop off, they will uh, uh, be able to enjoy that. And, and I was saying, well, actually, they kind of enjoy it now, right? They have the house, they have access to, to our money and, uh, you know, a caravan, and they use cars that we have and what have you. So they enjoy that inheritance now, but one day it'll be theirs. And so it is with... Uh, um, the world, isn't it? God's given us the world as a gift. We, we can enjoy it now. But what he's saying is that those who submit to God, ultimately their inheritance will be to reign with him. So think on that. And when we look at meek, what does that characteristic of meekness look like? For me, I couldn't come up with a better description than the fruits of the Spirit. Because those who are meek Though we have the power of God within us, that limitless power, we exhibit self-control. We exhibit kindness and peace and patience. We are able to demonstrate love and goodness. And we're filled with joy because we know that no matter what circumstances, God is in control. Second of the Beatitudes I want us to look at is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The guy that um, gave the talk on this was from Northern Ireland. Very apt that somebody from Northern Ireland should give a talk on Blessed are the Peacemakers. And he gave just a wonderful testimony of how um, the Christian influence in the Northern Ireland Troubles was able to, to bring peace where there was none. And the photo that I put up there is of uh, some of the girls just sharing with some of the kids at the A's Orphanage. And I could have put hundreds of pictures up, uh, but just with the interaction. And the wonderful thing for me, and the, probably the most moving um, thing, was one of the kids wrote, and I can't, uh, I don't have it verbatim, but it was words to the effect of, 
I used to think white people hated us and we had to wait, hate white people. I've been told that. I used to think they were horrible, but now I know they love us. And I think we did far more than build a house because we brought peace to that area. And I'm sure you saw from the videos just how full of joy those kids were. They were hanging on to people and kind of running around and dancing and just enjoying themselves. It was just wonderful. Blessed are the peacemakers. What are we going to do to be peacemakers in the position that God has placed us? We don't all have to go out to South Africa, but we're called to be that peace. Third one I want to um, look at is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, I use the example of uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm sure uh, some of you know that, what this uh, this is. Chloe's uh, laughing there. But basically it is, um, you know, that we all have needs, very basic needs, things like shelter, air to breathe, water to drink, food, and so on. And then these needs work their way up as uh, as the baser needs are satisfied. Looking around at some people today, you might wonder whether there's maybe even more fundamental needs. Right? First thing that the kids always wanted to do when they got to the airport, uh, right, what's the Wi-Fi password? You know? Oh, my battery's running out. But what Jesus said is the most basic need is righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for food and drink or battery and Wi-Fi, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, we use that word righteousness. What does it mean? We had a debate about that. For me, righteousness is about a proper relationship with God. And Jesus wasn't using the words hunger and thirst glibly. He lived in a time when people really did suffer um, from lack of water and lack of food. They really knew what hunger and thirst was. It was it's not just a craving for a Big Mac or something like that. It was real hunger and thirst. Are we really, as our number one priority, hungering and thirsting for righteousness? I use the example of this guy. I don't know if you've heard the story. i seen in the film 127 Hours. Yeah? A guy called Aaron Ralston, who went uh, trekking in uh, Blue John Canyon in Australia. He was a real um, kind of outdoors, adventurous type, into mountain biking, climbing, canyoning, you name it, he was, he was doing it. But he had a fall, and he fell into this canyon, and during the fall, a rock um, fell with him, and he fell in such a way that that rock there jammed his arm against the side of the wall. And he was stuck. And no matter what he tried, he couldn't get away from that. 127 hours, he was stuck like that. Virtually no water, virtually no food. It got to the point where he was going to die. And save you the gory details, the only way he could get out was to cut his own arm off and escape. And he did, and he's now living a very uh, um, fruitful and healthy life with a, with a false arm. That, for me, 
is an example of true hunger and thirst, right? Not for righteousness in his case, but he knew that he had to let go. He had to cut himself off from the thing that was holding him back from getting food and water. And I wonder when we look at our lives, what do we prioritize in our lives? You might have heard this illustration that, you know, if you've got rocks, pebbles and sand and you want to fill a container, you've got to do it in a certain order. If you start filling with the sand first, you will never get everything in because once you get onto the bigger stuff, you'll leave all kinds of gaps. The only way to get it all in is to fill with the rocks first and then fill in the little gaps with the smaller pebbles and then anything that's left with the sand. And it strikes me that sometimes we get the priorities in our life completely turned upside down. That we fill our lives with the small stuff, the stuff that has no consequence in eternity whatsoever. And when it comes time for the big stuff, it kind of gets pushed out. There's no time left for it. When Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... He's saying, have that as your number one baseline in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Seek righteousness. The words of the song we sang, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added to you. It's a uh, very salutary lesson, I think. So, did we build more than a house? I think we did. Petros was mentioned. Petros is in the middle there. This is uh, part of the team that uh, um, two years ago built that house. And what a relief it was to see it still standing. But Petros has painted it. He's painted the doors and the windows and the walls. And he's put curtains up. And it just looks beautiful. And this guy was so proud of his house, he could hardly express himself. It was just... So moving to to hear. He was just delighted. And not only has he got a house now, but he's able to share it. And, uh, um, you know, people who come past see the difference that has been made. And whereas a few years ago, um, I was sharing with some of the Amor guys, if any white people were seen in the township, stones would be thrown at buses or cars or whatever that was going past. Right? They hated white people going in. Now... The kids are running down after the bus, cheering us and um, just wanting to, to hug us and what have you. It's transformed the way that people think. Far more than just leaving a house, they now see that there's hope in uh, working together. We start to see some of those chapters of that Freedom Charter start to be lived out. Wonderful. In that Hector Peterson Museum, I mentioned the plaques that were lying around. There were a number that had marked unknown. Kids that were shot and nobody knew who they were. Parents never claimed them. What a terrible thing to die unknown. What a terrible thing to have nobody weep or mourn for you. And it wasn't just the one. You know, some people in life go through life feeling quite unknown, 
quite lonely, quite without purpose. And I hesitate to draw any parallels at all with Hector Peterson because, as I say, um, you know, he died completely not knowing what he did in that sacrifice. But, you know, Jesus doesn't want any of us to be unknown. And in Jesus, there was an individual life that changed not just society, but changed the world. Because Jesus didn't want anybody to die unknown outside of that relationship with God and and getting all the benefits of the Beatitudes that we've talked about, being children of God, being filled, inheriting the kingdom. Jesus died an individual life that would change the world. I wonder what our response to that needs to be. Because for me, if you're to redraw Maslow's hierarchy of, uh, of needs, it's got to be turned completely on its head. Just like Jesus did in the Beatitudes, where he changed around that culture and said, you've got to live a countercultural world. For me, it all starts with Christ and the sacrifice that he made. And because he gives all that we need, all our uh, physiological and psychological needs, he holds the whole world in his hands. Colossians 1.17 says he holds the whole universe together. He gives meaning. He gives belonging. He gives us self-esteem. Far more than the world can give. So I urge you today that if perhaps you feel unknown, if perhaps you feel like your priorities in life are not what they should be, if you put priorities in the wrong place. Do what Jesus said. Turn it on its head. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the experience that we were able to have out in South Africa. Lord, thank you for the lessons that we've learned. But Lord, I thank you most of all for your son Jesus who gave his life that the world could be changed. Lord, I pray that for each of us we'd know that relationship, we'd know that inheritance because we've hungered and thirsted for righteousness. We can stand calling ourselves children of God. And that we can make a difference in this world and through our actions, they would echo through eternity. Lord, uh, speak to us, I pray. Show us if there's any way in us that needs to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.